WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And guys, we did it! We did Camden Comic Con. It was amazing. And I cannot thank our uh, guests from last week's show, Miranda Powell and Bill Haas, enough for having me and Matt on board. Uh, for those of you who could not attend, we did record our panel with Jerry Conway, Larry Hama, and Louise and Walter Simonson. And we also recorded segments with Jennifer Hayden, Stuart Moore, Adam McGovern, Joe Corallo, and Kristen Goodsnook. And uh, you should get to hear that audio sometime in the next few weeks. Before that, though, we have one more live appearance. Uh, Matt Lazowitz and I are going to be at Free Comic Book Day at Dewey's Comic City in Madison, New Jersey, uh, this coming Saturday. We are on a guest list that includes past WMQ&A guest Fernando Ruiz, as well as Archie artist uh, Dan Parent, Tom Mandrake, uh, Star Wars artist uh, Jan Dersima, Riley Brown, who drew Cable and Deadpool with Fabian Cieza, and many more. Uh, the plan is to record some more segments of that show, so uh, who knows what we'll come back with. Uh, but if it's anything like Camden, uh, it is going to be fun AF. Uh, but first, this podcast. Uh, this week we're talking with David Pipos and Jorge Santiago Jr., the writer and artist behind the Action Lab series Spencer and Locke, uh, which is about a hard-boiled detective and his imaginary panther partner. It is a grown-up, dark take on Calvin and Hobbes, and it's launching its second volume this week, which is going to look at the not-so-funny side of some other notable comic strips, starting with a villain who's a straight-up parody of Beetle Bailey. So definitely check that out. And check out what we've got going on over at WMQComics.com. Uh, I wrote a piece on Avengers Endgame on how that movie wraps up Steve Rogers' arc. Uh, Matt Laswitz's bonus reading is going to be about some of the great books out of the Boombox imprint through Boom Studios, like Giant Days and the Backstagers. Uh, Joshua Bermont's reviewing DC's Year of the Villain one-shot. And Will Nevin is going to have an interview with Ice Cream Man writer W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, and as always, the week ends with the Weekly Q newsletter, our roundup of the best stuff from the past week, and a sneak peek at what we got coming up. So please be sure to sign up for that at WMQComics.com. But in the meantime, here are me and Matt and David and Jorge. Uh, so Dave and Jorge, uh, we like to start... Uh, the podcast uh, typically by asking our, our creator guests, uh, you know, what what did you guys read when you kind of when you first got into comics? Oh man, I so I remember the first comics that uh, my mother ever got me as a kid. There were it was a bunch of Marvel books. It was um, uh, an issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man uh, uh, that Eric Larson drew. It was uh, Spider-Man versus Venom. Right before okay. they ended up going to the island, uh, blew my young mind. Uh, an issue of Captain America, uh, where he was fighting the Ice Serpent uh, with Jack Frost. Uh, an old Peter David issue of Incredible Hulk, where he was fighting the Abomination and poured toxic waste all over his face. That kind of, like, messed with me in a big way. And then uh, an issue of Silver Surfer that I didn't understand at all, but I loved it. It was uh, uh, Adam Warlock versus Drax the Destroyer in the uh, Soul Gem. And uh, I, I read those things. I, I, I destroyed them with how much I read them. And then <laughs> my parents made the mistake of buying me uh, Infinity War uh, issue two. And I realized that all these characters lived in the same world. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I kind of became a, a comics fan for life after that. Uh, you know, I, you know, huge fan of, uh, of Marvel, uh, DC especially. I actually wound up interning there in college. And that was sort of my start in the industry. And uh, yeah, now as an adult, I love sort of delving into the creator-owned stuff. Um, so I I, uh, I feel like I, I, I get a nice wide variety of, of, of comics reading in my diet. That's awesome. Uh, you know, but before we dive into Jorge, I just I noticed Matt chuckling ever so slightly because two of those books that you mentioned, I think, speak to the very core of him. <laughs> yes, the uh, Peter David Hulk and anything with Adam Warlock are deep joys of mine and a matter of fact that uh eric larson issue of amazing might have been also the first issue of amazing i read yeah uh uh with uh yeah like, like uh yeah I, I i i love that book from from cover to cover and in fact i had made a promise to myself not to read the cliffhanger uh the resolution of the cliffhanger until i uh i made my first comic so um that was kind of a fun uh, purchase for me at my very first signing was uh, figuring out what exactly happened to Spidey uh, when he got knocked out in that cryo cryo chamber. So, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's funny. We ju we just recorded a uh, a spring uh, Easter special. It's going up this week, and so we decided to do a whole episode on on comic book resurrections. All and right. Yeah. So Adam Warlock played a a big part in that. <laughs> yeah. He's space, he's space Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Jorge, how about you? Okay, so I I guess like. I, I kind of have two comic book origins because like when I was a kid, my mm -hmm. parents saw like, oh, he loves these cartoons and stuff. So they would hilariously buy me inappropriate comics because they didn't realize what was in them. Like I love the Ninja <laughs> Turtles cartoon as a child, as a wee child. Right. So they, bought, so they went to like the Walgreens when they back when they carried comics and they bought me like uh, like a four issue book of the uh, Eastman and Laird Ninja Turtles, you know, the <laughs> one where. They're the one where they first meet the Shredder and then they impale him, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, like I had a lot of just sort of comics that were um, just like they were always issues in the middle of like crazy runs. And they were always the weirdest ones, too. But um, it wasn't until, uh, like I fell away from comics after a bit. And it wasn't until I got back in in high school that I, I got back in with uh, reading a lot of manga. And that's what. Uh, sort of spurred me on into making my own comics was like mm -hmm. this this yeah it's just that that joy of being dropped into a story and not knowing like what's going to happen next but uh, yeah my first one was Rama one half okay um mm -hmm. yeah and like that just started me on a bunch of things but then like I went on to read like Ghost in the Shell and Akira you know the things that people say like oh you read manga you read these things it's like oh yes I read them like that kind of stuff but okay. um yeah Awesome. Uh, so you guys are here promoting the new volume of your uh, Action Lab series, Spencer Locke, uh, about a detective and his imaginary big cat partner. Kind of a dark look at a grown-up Calvin and Hobbes, which, first of all, love the concept. Uh, curious, you know, what what is the origin of this, uh, this comics baby? Yeah, so um, Spencer and Locke, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> It came up, I was, uh, you know, I got my start as a reviewer at, uh, at Newsarama. Oh, and, nice. you know, the, the, the thing about it, 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 it that they don't tell you about being a reviewer is, is it's like being a kid at a candy store when half the candy is rancid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, 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 that's no insult to, to, the, to the people who are, are working hard making comics. It's just that, you know, like I, there comes a time where you're not really feeling a lot of the stuff that like mm. you're you know that you're reading and so i um i uh, at the time i kind of had this sort of forbidden thought of like well why don't you put your money where your mouth is smart guy like if you think you're so good at comics like why don't you make one of your own and i thought you know boy like people say write what you know and i was like what what the hell do i know about anything like i know comics i guess and at first that felt super limiting. And then I realized, no, that's actually not limiting at all. Um, you know, you, you take sort of uh, what, it, you know, what do you like about the styles of certain creators? And, you know, what would happen if you kind of threw them together a little bit? I was a big fan of mashup music, things like Nine Inch Nails meets Call Me Maybe, kind of like weird, like pineapple pizza kind of combinations <laughs> that wind up working out really well. And so... Uh, I'm a I'm a big uh, old school fan of uh, classic Frank Miller. Um, okay. His Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, uh, was the book that made me realize that real writers and artists did these books. Um, and so I thought, you know, that'd be really cool if somebody did something in that kind of vein. And I thought, what would be the weirdest thing to throw up against classic Frank Miller? And <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the ideas I originally had felt very kind of shock for shock value's sake, and that's not. That's not a good way to maintain a long-term audience, in, in my opinion. Sure. But when I thought of Calvin and Hobbes, suddenly, like, the light bulb went off. Um, you know, I, I, I remember reading a, a strip on Reddit where it was uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin's doing his uh, homework. And Hobbes like, it's a beautiful day out. Don't you want to, like, go outside and play? Calvin's like, nah, I really got to, like, do this homework. And Hobbes is like, really? You just want to do your homework? And, he's, and Calvin says, yeah, you know, uh, mom says uh, she's got me in a new prescription and she says it's really improving my focus. And then the last panel is just like Calvin doing his homework and he and Hobbes is just like a lifeless doll. <laughs> and I kind of like I, I like cackled when I read it. 
But then I kind of thought like, oh, like there's something to that. Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, people have imaginary friends, but I don't think they're quite as vividly realized as Calvin and Hobbes. And what if that's not just this charming eccentricity? It was just like the symptom of a darker pathology. Um, And that was kind of the, the genesis of Spencer and Locke thinking, you know, if there was a cop who carried around a stuffed animal everywhere. Like you'd ask like, what was his home life like? And uh, you know, what's going on in his head. And that kind of really opened itself up to this, you know, sort of dark buddy cop kind of adventure story. Um, And, you know, I, I personally found it really hard to write scripts back in the day, but that one really kind of poured out of me very quickly. Um, the first issue, I think I wrote in, in, in a day and a half or something like that. And uh, the treatment took less than a week. I, I really was like, oh, wow, there's like something to this story that's clearly speaking to me. And uh, and so, you know, I sort of took the very small steps of trying to find Jorge and trying to put together a pitch and shopping it around just to see what it feels like. And then suddenly Action Lab says, how long is it going to take for you to do this book? And (laughs) that's when I was like, oh, crap. Like this hypothetical that I didn't think was going to happen definitely just did. And now we have to actually make the book. uh, Yeah, that's kind of a weird sort of uh, uh, twisty origin story of of how Spencer and Locke came to be. Uh, So how how did you and Jorge end up uh, connecting? So um, I, I looked at Justin Jordan's uh, Strange Talent of Luther Strode as kind of my blueprint for, uh, a, you know, a successful breakout creator-owned book. Okay. And Justin's a smart guy. Um, you know, he, he's an idea generator. He's very thoughtful about the business as well as the execution of comics. But I would say the smartest thing he did in The Strange Talent of Luther Strode was he, you know, he hitched his wagon to a really talented artist, uh, Trad Moore. And I thought to myself, you know, like, where's the next trad more going to come from? And so I looked at, uh, you know, uh, places like SCAD, RISD, the Kubert School, SVA. Um, and I, I really feel like I did find the, 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 the next trad more. I, I, I think uh, Jorge's portfolio immediately kind of jumped out at me, not only based on the way that he portrayed action uh, with a lot of energy and fluidity, which I always really respond to. But I love the way that he brought so much emotion and expressiveness to his characters. Um, and that really kind of felt like the, the, the whole package for me, um, especially, you know, sort of already having to walk a tightrope act with this particular concept. And, uh, yeah, so it, it uh, you know, I, the stars kind of aligned. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to hit up Jorge right as he was uh, graduating uh, from SCAD. And, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a lovely partnership ever since. So, so Jorge, uh, you know, where, where, you know, he, uh, obviously David mentioned you were kind of graduating from SCAD, but like, do you remember kind of just get, you know, get, getting an email from this stranger? Like, Hey, do you want to hook up on this project? Like, like, where were you at that point? Um, so when, when David first contacted me, it was yeah right as I was about to leave SCAD and I, I've been, I had started to sort of sink into like a little mini depression because of it. Um, not because of the email, but because of, uh, like I had spent, uh, I had moved out from Texas to Georgia in order to make this whole comics thing come true because I'd been drawing comics in El Paso forever. And I like, I produced almost like a thousand pages worth of graphic novels, like just out there, but nobody, like I could sell maybe 12 of them a year. And I was like, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more to this. I gotta go to school and learn how to do this stuff. And so I moved to SCAD and, or I moved to Georgia to go to SCAD and I, I got the training. I, I did the portfolio reviews. I, I did my thesis. I got my master's degree. And like after three years of being sort of in a, like in, in the, the comic book sort of like Academy, I was like, okay, what happens when I graduate? Like, um, I hadn't, I hadn't like secured like a, like a book deal with anybody. I hadn't, I, I like, well, I, I had made some connections. I felt like, huh, are, am I really going to be a good fit with some of these publishers? Because the way I tell stories is like, I'm, uh, like, like, uh, it, it works out great for Spencer and Locke. Cause like what David is saying is like, I like focusing on the emotion of the characters, focusing on their pain and like their stories and stuff. And like, Looking at a lot of publishers, I don't feel like a lot of the books that they make 
really like speak to that to like sort of the human condition of their characters and so i was like man am i gonna be just a an artist that is maybe does like uh, uh self-published stuff and then just like nobody ever really learns about and so i was starting to worry about my future trajectory and then i got an email from david saying hey i want to work with you and it was like i did oh. it in that voice too yeah <laughs> yeah it was like, yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. There was a, just a, there was a VHS tape on my doorstep, and I just I was like, "What's this?" It said "Play Me" on it, and it was written in like well, it wasn't written. It was like cut out in magazine letters, and um, it was the Zodiac Killer Code. Yeah, I was, this looks familiar. I guess I'll play it, and um, yeah, and so like David sort of gave me like a like an, uh, a lifeline, like not that I was in danger or anything, but just sort of like a like because I'm I'm a I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person that when I start thinking negatively like that, like, like I start to get like, oh man, oh, I get, I get depressed. And so like getting an email from David was, was kind of like exactly what I needed. You know, it pulled me sort of out of that and into like, a, okay, well let's, let's get this book going and let's see if we can get it published. And if we can get it published, like this will be, you know, the, the, especially like based on the, what David sent me for the pitch, I was like, okay yeah there seems like like there's a lot of emotion here that that we can mine like there's a lot that um i guess like what i like to tell about stories like is in this book so yeah let's give it a go and it's 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 been it's 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 been it's been a, a wild ride it's been a wild ride <laughs> that's awesome uh and and how did the book end up like how did action lab uh end up being you know the place where it found its home so um you know it's it some of it is is in comics, you're going to get told no a lot. Sure. Uh, but, you know, you you just have to believe in your product uh, until you get that one yes. And so I, I take it as a badge of honor. You know, we, we shop Spencer and Locke all around town. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget a top five publisher telling me to my face, this is the best pitch we'll never publish, uh, which I, 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 I wear that as a badge of honor. Uh, that is high I, praise. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, the, the, and, but that's what I really like about Action Lab is while all these other publishers were kind of hemming and hawing, um, you know, I remember emailing Action Lab. I, I, I was working at CBS in New York at the time mm -hmm. and I, uh, my work computer had Adobe Acrobat, whereas I did not have it at home. So I was putting, I was putting last touches on the pitch after work. Um, I was catching up in some paperwork and it's kind of doodling around on that. And I remember sending out the email and then, you know, going back and, you know, catching up on some, some paperwork. And like 20 minutes later, I got an email from Dave Twanch, who was uh, at the time president of the company, uh, asking me, hey, how soon do you think you could get this thing done? And um, that honestly was such a, a, a wonderful and encouraging experience. I mean, I, I consider Dave uh, now to be a, a real mentor to me in the comics industry. Um, and uh, working with a publisher who's just genuinely enthusiastic about your work and can see the value in it, um, there's really nothing quite like it. Um, uh, you know, and I, I feel like I give Action Lab a lot of credit that they're not the kind of publisher that you know puts on airs or gets too caught up in their own head about sort of the, the dollars and cents about it. They, they work with a lot of new, fresh, up-and-coming talent. And so a lot of times they just think, like, does this look cool to us? Like, does this look like the kind of books that we'd like to read? Like, is this sort of the, the, the kind of book that, like, could find its audience? You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, at, you know at, at a Marvel or DC level, of course. But, like, you know, can, can it find its people? And uh, that was, that's been really encouraging, uh, working with them on that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of publishers that would have gotten really squeamish about our book. I mean, it's a book that, you know, while it's about a cop and his childhood imaginary friend, it's also about, you know, uh, mental illness and childhood trauma and PTSD and, you know, some pretty combustible materials. And I give Action Lab all the credit in the world. Not once did they say, you can't do that um, or you got to pull it back or even more insidiously oh, make it even, you know, make it even gro grosser, you know, <laughs> um, they respected 
our story and our themes. And they always, always, always said, um, tell the story that you pitched us. That, that's, that's pretty much the only thing that they ever said to us. And um, I think that's the reason why the book has been as well received as it has been is, you know, it's, we kind of walked a high wire act and I think a lot of people watched to see if we would fall. Um, and when we didn't, I think that was, that, that was even more exciting to them. Um, and that's part of the reason why uh, I guess we're pushing our luck with a sequel. Uh, that's, that's great. And, you know, looking, uh, you know, having read the, the, the first issue of the new sequel, uh, you know the the villain of this 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 first issue, uh, Roach Roach Riley. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously we're going with a with the Beetle Bailey parody here. Uh, you know, curious how how much of a, a student of uh, the Sunday funnies are you? You know, were you one of those kids who killed a uh, a Sunday morning flattening silly putty onto newsprint to you know copy the strips and all that? I I uh, I yeah, I was a huge fan of, of of the comic section as a kid. I actually my first job out of college, I was a newspaper reporter, so I I uh, I, I bleed newspaper ink. Um, and I grew up in a great newspaper town. Um, I grew up reading the St. Louis Post Dispatch, mm-hmm. and they they had a, you know not only is it a Pulitzer winning newspaper, but uh, they had a, a, an amazing comic section. And so, yeah, every morning that was kind of my routine was I would just, you know, read the comic section. And so I, you know, that's how I got my start on Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and then my mother would buy the collections and she would clip out strips and, you know, uh, you know, paste them all over the house. And, um, but, you know, strips like Beetle Bailey, um, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, like Family Circus or Garfield or Peanuts or, you know, um, High and Lois or the Lockhorns or Blondie or Brenda Starr. Um, you know, they're all these really cool, very bite-sized stories. Um, and it was kind of a fun comfort as a kid, um, to think, oh, I like comics and here they are in the rest of the world. Like the rest of the world believes in, in, in comics as a medium as well. And, um, so yeah, I, I, it was kind of fun being able to tap into all that. And it was probably the hardest thing about promoting the first volume on my end was not spilling the beans about what. I wanted to do for volume two, mm-hmm. um, taking the fables approach, uh, where no comic strip is safe. That's been a plan, uh, as, as long as there's been a Spencer and Locke. Um, that was the plan before I approached Jorge. Uh, that was the plan before I approached action. Lab. Uh, was always, if people like the first story, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a much wider universe for these characters to explore. And, um, because it's just, you know, reading the comics section as a kid, all these strips lived on the same page. So why wouldn't you have them kind of live in the same universe? Um, and what about you, uh, Jorge? I mean, the that first issue of the second volume, I mean, you do some uh, Beetle Bailey-esque Mort Walker-style panels and some bill waterson style flashbacks were was this something that you've now had to do a lot of research on or was it sort of in your dna um it was in my dna like my, my parents always had a uh, newspaper subscription and like david like well and it was weird because like everyone in our house like read the newspaper funnies and my parents even had these sort of collected books that like i never really considered them like like, it was weird. As a kid, I never considered them like, oh, this is a comic book. Because it was like a, um, it was like, they, they were like, yeah, like, I, my parents had, like, the first collected book of, like, the, the Charlie Brown Peanuts comics. Like, the ones where, like, where Snoopy was still a puppy and his design was so different. Like, um, yeah, I remember reading all of those. And I, I loved Calvin and Hobbes and uh, especially um, in working for the, the sequel um and and de- dealing with with Roach Riley um it, it was it was important to me that one that when when we did those flashback sequences that um that definitely that like you know I, I was respectful to the to uh to to Mort Walker and to Bill Watterson but like um one, one of the things that was also very important to me as like narrative thing is that um it always felt like each like every panel, every page was drawn by, by, by me, by one person, because, um, 
I felt that if if I didn't find a way to sort of metabolize all of these two different art styles into sort of how I into how I, I work, that it would just feel out of place. Like, do you know how like Marvel and DC used to do these comics where like in the middle of the comic, there would be a Snickers ad that would be a comic drawn in like the same style as like the comic that you're already reading. And oh, so, sure. Yeah, it's like you're reading Superman, and then all of a sudden it's like Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman are outside, like fighting a creature like near a stadium. And I'm like, wait, wait, they were they were in space. Well, what are they doing here? Oh, this is a this is a an ad for for a candy bar. Like I never I never wanted that to you know like the worst thing that could happen with this book is you know that we lose people in the in the flashbacks. And so it was important that. Um, I do a lot of studying and try to figure out like, okay, how can I, how can I make these same marks? Like what tools can I use to um, help me tell this story, but still keep it within the, the, uh, the playground that is Spencer and Locke. Um, and, but yeah, no, it was, it was great. Like I was actually, it was, it was, it was actually quite difficult to find um, like really like, like, like with Calvin and Hobbes, like I can find those books like at any Barnes and Noble or at any comic book shop. But I had a really hard time finding any sort of like collected Beetle Bailey books. I don't know if any exist or if they're just like on a website that I just didn't think to check. But um, I did I did all the research that I that I possibly could, and it's just a lot of practice. But yeah, it, it is like a fun sort of like walk through my my childhood while also being like, oh yeah, oh I remember these characters. Okay, well now bad stuff's got to happen. <laughs> uh, that that is uh, that is great and uh, fun fun fact. My day job, I am a uh, newspaper editor, so this whole conversation was was very heartening. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, we're also uh, a big Calvin and Hobbes house uh, in my house. I saved all the collections that my parents got me when I was a kid. Uh, my son is seven. I pass them all on to him now. And, you know, when I'm around at night to, to, you know, read to them before bed, those, those books are like a huge go-to, uh, you know, wondering if you guys are particular to, you know, any, any specific kind of Calvin and Hobbes plot, you know, for like, like the Spaceman Spiff ones, for example, or the ones where he tortures, uh, Rosalind, the babysitter, Susie Durkins, or, you know, the ones where he, he, that are basically, you know, Kafka's the metamorphosis where he turns into a bug or a dinosaur or a puddle. Boy, well, you know, I mean, you're 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 hitting on all my favorites. I mean, <laughs> it, it, for me, the thing I like most reading it as a kid, and I think that's something that I've gotten a new appreciation for rereading it as an adult. Um, uh, and uh, so it was that I really liked when Waterson, when Bill Waterson would sort of make adjustments um, to his visual style. Uh, things like Spaceman Spiff, things like having t- uh, T-Rexes flying fighter planes, like, uh, you know, a Tracer Bullet. Uh, yeah, just like the ways that he would kind of shift his art style. As a kid, that was just like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, getting to see all these different kinds of like, uh, you know, these different kinds of, um, uh, of art styles. And then reading it as an adult and you're like, whoa, like it's impressive to see how Bill was able to organically fit all these different genres into this book. Because once you accept the initial high, high concept of, oh, it's a boy who imagines that his stuffed tiger is a real thing, what else is true based on that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, then you can suddenly, then it's, it's not a big stretch to say, well, if he can imagine a tiger talking to him, maybe he can imagine being in space or he can imagine like, you know, uh, destroying the universe as God himself, um, or, you know, uh, or, you know, a killer mutant snowman. Um, these are all kinds of fun iconography that he built so organically. Um, and that's been really fun to, to, to revisit in our series. I, I, I think it's, it's taking that sort of I wouldn't necessarily say innocence because I think I think some people misremember Calvin and Hobbes as being this super innocent book, whereas I think it was like very subversive and you know had a very sharp sense of humor to it, uh, which is I think part of the reason why it overlaps so well with that kind of uh, Frank Miller noir tone to it. Um, I, 
Yeah, I mean, it was downright existentialist at points. Like, they would just do strips like, do you believe in life after death? Do you believe in fate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, like, like, it just had, it, it, it coming from the mouth of this kind of smart-ass eight-year-old or seven-year-old, like, that, like, uh, you know, it's it's so funny, and it's, like, wickedly funny. Um, so any anytime that somebody sort of looks at me with an eyebrow raised and they're like, oh, don't you think you're ruining the innocence of Calvin and Hobbes? I'm like... I don't know, man. Like, like, did you see the stuff that Calvin did? Did you see the strip of like the deer walking into the office cubicle and like shooting office workers because Calvin was imagining what deers would be like if they hunted humans? Like, that, <laughs> how innocent do you think this strip really is? And those snowmen are grotesque. Grotesque. We're we're doing something very fun with the snowmen in volume two. Um, we we uh, we do have some previews for that, and it'll be up for our third issue. Um, the previews are out for that now. But um, the only thing worse than Killer Mutant Snowmen, I'll say, is not the Killer Mutant Snowmen. So uh, that'll be something fun that we do in Volume Two. Uh, I have a soft spot for one of those Calvin Hobbes collections, Homicidal Psycho Jungle Cat, as. I have talked about on this podcast many times. I have a cat who is currently sitting next to me who is a little gray monster who I often address as homicidal psycho Bessie cat when she's in a mood. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting that you said some of, uh, about the innocence and the lack thereof because reading the book, it doesn't neatly fit into one of those sort of literary classifications. I mean, it, it, other than a noir, right. I mean, it, it's not a parody necessarily uh, or an homage uh, reimagining. I mean, is there something that you sort of view it as, or am I just being an no. English major and <laughs> trying to classify something that doesn't, necessarily need it and i should just stuff it and enjoy the book <laughs> well look i mean I'll, I'll never tell you not to enjoy our books but you know i i I do, I do see it as 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 a little bit of a parody kind of a very black comedy parody uh, but i um for me i see it you know it's it's in that realm of sort of a neo-noir psychological thriller in my mind um you know for me i really like that kind of way that we're able to look at Locke um, as, you know, he's a character who's dealing with a very profound mental illness. And um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Memento. Um, depending on the day, it's either Memento or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that I would say is my all-time favorite movie. And being able to sort of take a character's psychology and using it as an actual storytelling device, as, as something that's intrinsic to not just the character, but the high concept of the plot. Um, that's something that's very attractive to me as a writer. Um, it sort of allows you to turn character into action um, in, in a way that I think is uh, more broad and freeing than, than, than uh, other stories might have. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like the idea of a character who has, you know, kind of a profound mental disability, but he's able to leverage it and use it as his own kind of coping mechanism to make his disability work for him. Momentary tangentness, because as we, we love tangents, if you ever get the chance, there was for a few years a comedy and music program on NPR called Wits mm -hmm. and they did a recurring Peanuts riff and one of them is the classic Lucy trying to get Charlie Brown to kick the football yes. only he tells her he's not going to do it this time and says something about Snoopy and then Lucy begins telling him that there is no Snoopy there was a puppy and it died. And ever since then, you've been talking about this dog that no one else sees. Now kick the football. And she gaslights him for the entire sketch. And oh it is God. 
delightfully disturbing. That's well. That's I mean I love that. I mean that's the sort of stuff like like I, I, yeah. I mean it, it, it's I for me sometimes my favorite my favorite jokes are the jokes that you kind of like um, you kind of do a little bit of a gas before you you you, you laugh. Um, and the thing is, we're not trying to poke fun at um, you know at people with mental illness or people with childhood trauma. Um, and I think that's kind of the fun of reading Spencer and Locke because you kind of go from this sort of subversive, oh my god, to like, oh, I really feel for this character and like I like I really kind of believe in his struggles and what he's going through. Um, but at the same time, there's sort of there is that transgressiveness a bit, and we do we get to play with that a lot with our our various Easter eggs in Volume Two. Um, you know, I like you know we've got so many different kind of fun characters in in, in in volume two not only do we have roach riley um who's our our, our homicidal riff on mort walker's beetle bailey i uh, i describe him as if heath ledger's joker had survived the events of the deer hunter um <laughs> uh, but you know uh, see that's exactly the reaction we're going for um but you know we've got uh riffs on brenda star high and lois um we've got a parody of dilbert we shove his head in a toilet because you know that's how we roll um, dilbert was asking for it to be fair <laughs> dilbert, yeah. dilbert absolutely absolutely was asking for it um but uh uh you know I, I, to be honest really scott adams was asking for it um yeah. but uh, uh you know it, it you know I, I'll say, you know, even we threw in a nice cameo from uh, Nancy and Sluggo in in one of our issues. Um, this was Sluggo the, is lit. Yeah, Sluggo is definitely lit. Um, and uh, I, 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 uh, I I I appreciate that because I wrote them in well before the Olivia James uh, relaunch of the of the strip. So I just feel real small. I just feel like really like head of her. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, like, yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm particularly excited to see sort of uh, how fans react to this book, um, because I think it's going to be like a little bit of a laugh, a little bit of a cry. And that's kind of that that, that, that nice little uh, sweet and sour uh, uh, sensation that we're trying to get out, uh, out of our readers. Absolutely. So uh, let me let me ask you this though. Actually, uh, Matt, this is your question, so I, I'll let you uh, field this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just curious if you're going to view one of the marks of success for the strip, be, fi- being driving down the highway and seeing unauthorized stickers uh, or mud flaps of lock peeing on stuff. Uh, I, you know what? I'd laugh. I, I would. I'd absolutely laugh. Because uh, uh, you know what? Like one good turn deserves another. Um, also, like I would just feel like we made it. Um, I'm of the opinion most. You know, I'd say like a good ninety eight percent, ninety nine percent of our of our reaction has been like universally positive, which is amazing. And the best case scenario in terms of the, of what ratio we were expecting, because. Honestly, when that first issue came out, I had no idea how that was going to go. I was like, boy, they're either going to love this book or they're going to absolutely hate it. And I don't think there's any sort of room for middle ground. Um, but any the, the, the few minor people who have not liked it, their insults wind up becoming the biggest compliments. Um, we had one review that described us as kindergarten level Alan Moore. And I was like... <laughs> did you just compare me to Alan Moore? Like, like, like you clearly don't know what an insult looks like. Um, I want to get that printed on a t-shirt. Uh, uh-huh. so having, having, you know, uh, mud flaps or stickers of lock peeing on things. I mean, hell, I might just start selling those at cons at this point. Like just beat everybody <laughs> to it. Um, I, I, I like to think, uh, what would Stan Lee do as far as uh, promoting and publicizing this book? Um, Stan never, found a promo opportunity that he didn't like. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, it's a crowded marketplace and I'm working with honestly the best art team in the business. So um, I'm allowed to be a little shameless because um, uh, I'm not just pushing for me. I'm pushing for them too. So, so we've got an idea for your merch table at San Diego now. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll start, I'll start, I'll start making the stick. Jorge, let's start drawing some stickers right now. Of lock peeing on stuff, like lock peeing on stuff. There you go. 
I feel like that's something that would happen like in the comic. I think we should do like because I, I get like the 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 irony of the the Calvin peeing on stuff is like yeah, Calvin's a little little stinker, but he's not like I, I didn't I didn't never imagine him as like the one who'd pee on stuff. If we're gonna do like lock stickers, we should have like I don't know like lock lock doing something something productive with his time. Let, let's, <laughs> like yeah, like Tender like. like, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, 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 lock, lock combing like a Zen garden, or like lock, lock trimming his like a uh, his bonsai tree. You know, things he does for inner peace. <laughs> to promote the mental health aspects of the book. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's funny. I, 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 I think though, like, if if we sold sort of like like window stickers of like a little sort of slumped over Spencer doll, I think that would probably do. That probably sell pretty good. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, people people love Spencer. Uh, um, Jorge, uh, apart from uh, Spencer and Locke, you've got your own uh, webcomic too, Curse of the Eel, which uh, I spent a little bit this afternoon kind of scrolling through on your on your Tumblr. Uh, you know, what what can you tell people about that? Uh, so, Curse of the Eel, and, and, and it's interesting because Curse of the Eel is sort of like the um, the spiritual sibling to Spencer and Locke. Like the more I write it, the more I'm like, wait a minute, I'm just doing the same thing twice because, <laughs> because the, the whole, the whole, it, it came from, I wanted to try telling a horror story and I was reading a lot of HP Lovecraft and I was like, huh, okay, how can I approach this in like a modern way that feels like something that I would do that where I can, I can play around with the tropes of horror stories, but also subvert them at the same time. So I, I took like the the whole like oh there's this cult and they worship this weird uh, like other god creature like Cthulhu but like we're subverting the expectations by having it be like really sweet and really nice <laughs> kind of thing and and in the end like the 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 girl who summons it is like this this goth kid who's got a bone to pick with the world and so it's like they do sort of have like a Spencer and Locke kind of um relationship where like she she sees things always so negatively from like a goth kid in high school perspective of like i know true pain but like the eel is like spencer where it's, it's like no like, like like let's let's try to like in spencer lock like the spent i think the reason people love spencer is that spencer is the heart he he's the one who like you know he, he's the one who keeps Locke from you know going too far and like and that's why he needs him he's his his life preserver as far as the story goes. And like, it's sort of a similar thing in Curse of the Eel is that like, oh, it's these these two people that like, or this person and this creature that shouldn't probably be hanging out, but like they kind of need each other because friends are important. And so like, yeah, it, I, I didn't realize it until much later that I was like, oh, this is just Spencer and Locke, but just horror. Okay. <laughs> And uh, uh, what is what is the best pe way for people to find that so we can get that out there? Uh, Curse of the Eel. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it is on uh, Tapastic. It's on Tumblr. It's on Smack Jeeves. It should be if you search for Curse of the Eel on any of those. If you use those apps, you should be able to to find it. But um. But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, David, you also have another couple series uh, announced for the future. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Going to the Chapel and Grand Theft Astro? Yeah, well, um, so Going to the Chapel, uh, the easy elevator pitch is um, what if Die Hard took place at a wedding? Um, it's uh, the story of the uh, world's worst wedding, and that was before the bank robbers showed up. Um, it's... Oh. It's the story of a, a conflicted bride whose wedding is hijacked by a group of Elvis-themed bank robbers. And uh, unfortunately, what was supposed to be a simple smash and grab uh, uh, turns into a full-blown hostage situation. And so this bride has to kind of play both sides against the middle in order to get everybody out in one piece. Um, it's, uh, it's a love story. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's, I feel like romantic comedies as a genre, uh, gets a bad rap, um, both, you know, uh, in, in the direct market and the, 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 the general, uh, populace. I feel like there's a lot of preconceptions about what people 
which people are allowed to consume and enjoy romantic comedies. Okay. And uh, I think that's nonsense. I mean, there's all sorts of, I think it's just as flexible of a genre as crime or science fiction. I mean, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, movies ranging from About Time to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind to 500 Days of Summer um, to even, you know, things like Baby Driver, which I think had, you know, a really strong romantic core to it. So I, I wanted to uh, uh, come out with a, a romantic comedy that I thought anybody could enjoy. Um, I, I, I always try to wa- I want to bring as wide a consensus as possible to, to, to the books that I'm working on. And, um, you know, we, we had some early convention uh, uh, sneak peeks at C2E2, and uh, the response was incredible. Uh, we've had people describing it as 90s Julia Roberts starring in 90s Quentin Tarantino. And I'll take that. Uh, that's a huge compliment. Um, I I, uh, I feel like uh, uh, real men read pink. Uh, is <laughs> what I what I say. And uh, uh, you know, those who read go into the chapel. Um, they're they're gonna find out uh, why love is the ultimate hostage situation. Uh, so, uh, and then yeah, Grand Theft Astro. Um, you know, that's a that's a little further in the future. Um, both in in terms of setting and, and when it'll be hitting stores. Um, but, uh, you know, I am, uh, I'm hard at work on that with artist Jordi Perez, who has a, a new book coming out uh, 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 next week called uh, Queen of Bad Dreams. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. From Vault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 what Jordi uh, has been working on, um, you know, while we're sort of getting our ducks in a row with, with, with Astro. Um, we, we don't have a, a, a set uh, uh, printing schedule on it just yet. Um, it'll probably be sometime, uh, probably sometime next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's really exciting. It's, it's, uh, the fast and the furious meets back to the future in space. Um, I, I figure, uh, people are crazy enough to race, uh, cars, horses, and buggies. Uh, why not spaceships as well? Uh, so this is the story of Hakeem Henriksen. Um, he is the fastest star chaser in the galaxy. But in the middle of a race, uh, his, uh, he accidentally tears open a wormhole in space that uh, throws him seven years into the future, where he discovers uh, all of his immediate friends and family's lives have changed uh, dramatically in his absence. Um, so he winds up going uh, on a, a high-stakes, high-speed uh, heist with his formerly younger brother, who is now a fully-fledged uh, uh, street criminal in his own right. Uh, to find an item that could uh, bring him back to his home era. Um, of course, he's going to have to decide whether or not, um, you know, what he wants to do or if perhaps the best direction for him to move is forward. Um, it's a really fun series. Um, I'm about halfway finished writing it right now. Um, there's a lot of, you know, moving parts to doing a sort of space, future, spaceship, heist, time travel story, but I'm really excited how it's been coming together um i've sort of written all of the hard parts now so now i get to just uh dive into sort of the fun pyrotechnics of it all um and jordy is just a a terrific artist um i'm so excited to see his 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 work on queen of bad dreams i read the first issue and i loved it um and yeah he's just a a terrific collaborator so i'm excited to uh uh, be uh, backing into this book with him awesome uh back with uh Back to going to the chapel for for a second. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the initial elevator pitch, you mentioned uh, Die Hard at a wedding. Uh, does yeah. this mean that this too is a Christmas movie? <laughs> uh, no, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's set in the Southwest, so you know, uh, 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 Christmas is is kind of a a a, a, a point in, in in this regard. Um, I kind of liken it also to um, I don't know if you've uh, you know uh, seen Death at a Funeral. Um, they, they, they had the, uh, the Chris Rock version and then they had the original British version mm-hmm. or even just thinking, um, the Bluth family from Arrested Development, imagine oh, sure. if they were at a bank in a bank robbery. Um, you know, the, the, the bad Elvis gang is a group of professionals, but you can only be as professional as the people that you're trapped in a hostage situation with. Um, and, uh, uh, Emily, our, our poor bride, um, her family is super, super dysfunctional. Um, so we're going to kind of see how, how these criminals and these hostages, how their dynamic changes and evolves over the course of four issues. Um, so right now, I, I believe the series will be hitting stores. It'll be hitting stores sometime in the fall. 
I believe probably October, um, you know, with the, the, the trade coming out um, just in time for Valentine's Day. So, um, yeah, really excited about the, about the series. Um, you know, it's sort of an action-packed rom-com, um, you know, because, uh, you know, we don't, we don't get enough of those in comics. Awesome. Uh, do you guys have any uh, cons or store signings uh, coming up on your schedule to promote Spencer and Locke? Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, and, and, and on my end, um, I'm kind of juggling a lot of stuff going on. We've got, let's see, I'll be doing um, signings in at the Comic Bug, uh, both of their locations in Culver City and Manhattan Beach uh, on May 1st, the uh, the release date of the book. Um, I'll be at Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. the weekend before that. Um, I'll be doing free comic book day at uh, Heidi Ho Comics and the Comic Bug uh, the following weekend. Uh, Jorge and I will be doing a, a Skype book club in with uh, 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 Destiny City Comics um, uh, uh, that Sunday. Uh, where else am I going? Um, okay, I'm doing Wonder. Or I'm doing the MegaCon, Denver Comic Con, um, uh, Heroes Con, and uh, uh, boy, I'm sure I'll remember it eventually. But uh, <laughs> cons ahead of San Diego Comic Con, um, and uh, oh, and just uh, just announced Fan Expo Boston. Uh, just got uh, uh, officially confirmed with that this morning. So yes, I will be running all over the place, um, and also uh, TBD. But we do have a signing that is on in the cards uh, over at Golden Apple Comics in Los Angeles as well. Nice. <laughs> it's busy. Yeah, it's a full schedule. <laughs> on April twenty seventh. I'll yeah. be at uh, Scratch and Spin in uh, West Columbia, South Carolina. Um, yeah, it'll be like sort of the the Saturday before our first issue of Volume Two drops for Spencer and Locke. I'll be doing uh, like a signing, and I'll have sketches. I'll even be um, raffling off uh, the original art for one of the covers for the run. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be sitting there with a couple of other like local creators. Um, so like like uh, Jeff Morris, uh, who writes Paper Champion, uh, and I, I drew that comic. And then uh, Demarcus Williams uh, and The Job From Hell. Let's see. Oh, it's uh, yeah, Demarcus Williams and The Job From Hell is by Pretty Weird Art. Um, yeah, so we'll all be there that day from 12 to 2. And then uh, I've got the only con that I've really, that I've like for sure got uh, a table for this year right now is MomoCon, which is uh, an Atlanta local show. Um, and uh, it's, it's always like, it, it's one of my favorite shows that I do every year. Like it's, it's super, super rewarding and it's great. Like everyone there is really like, they're looking for original comics and new stories. And like that, that just, I don't know. Every, every time I leave, it's, I'm, it's always with happy tears, which is always nice. But, um, other than that, I'm still, I'm still deciding like, huh, am I going to be able to do heroes con? Am I going to be able to do this show? Like, uh, but as far as like right now, like th those two are definitely set in stone. Awesome. And um, what are you guys reading these days when you when you have time to uh, get get to your to read pile? Yeah, um, boy, there's a lot of stuff that I've been reading lately. Um, really digging Die and Peter Cannon Thunderbolt by Karen Gillan. Um, he's uh, he's a much smarter writer than I am, so he's kind of the, always the guy I want to be when I grow up. Um, Tom King. Uh, with uh, with Batman, um, his nightmares arc has been like really audacious, I think, and uh, really fun to read. Um, Chip Zdarsky's got the next issue of Spider-Man: Life Story. I always love kind of alternate universe, uh, alternate history takes on characters, so I'm I'm really stoked about that. Uh, Donny Cates on Venom, of course, um, loving that. Uh, uh, Scott Snyder on um, on Justice League. I'm really stoked about, and uh, my pal Brian Edward Hill um, uh, doing Angel over at Boom Studios. I'm really excited to read that this week. Uh, but yeah, tons of books out there. I'm sure I'm forgetting a, a, a ton out there. Um, I'll probably kick myself after this podcast when I remember them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goodly amount. Uh, Jorge, how about you? For me, not as many as David. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, like I'm, I'm, I have like, and this is like to my, to my like deep regret 
is that like I have not been able to go to a comic book shop in like forever. Oh no, that's not true. I was in one accidentally on Saturday. I had <laughs> yeah, I, I had a business meeting at uh, my parents' basement, and I did not realize that it was a comic book restaurant. And so, like, yeah, I was there. I didn't, I didn't pick up any books because it felt kind of like, oh, I'm here for a business meeting. Uh, I'll be right back. Let me go and let me go and just check the shelves, just real quick. But um, <laughs> yeah, like, no, I love um, pretty much anything Rick Remender writes. I'm, I'm in love with you know, like Low or Deadly Class. I'm woefully behind on both of those, but at least I know when I when I go back, I'll be able to um, I'll be able to have like a nice stack of them to to just devour in one go. Um, oh, I forgot for a uh, uh, free comic book day. I'm gonna be at uh, Doctor Nose in Marietta, Georgia. I'll be I'll be signing and doing sketches and stuff up there. And yeah, um, yeah, man, I forgot about free comic book day. And then that's coming up. That's not a good sign. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's mainly. Um, I've been rereading Ghost in the Shell because I just um, I just finished a short like eight page comic which may turn into a uh, like a pitch that I want to do for because um, like I was thinking about like how can I do like a cyber crime kind of story and I I've had this idea for for a while and I finally just I was like you know what I'm just gonna draw it and it was so much fun that I'm going to like, I'm hopefully going to try to maybe pitch it one like a little later in the summer when I have like time to like, you know, sit down and figure out like, okay, what's the best method and who, who would, who would enjoy this. But um, yeah, I've been rereading ghost in the shell to sort of have that, that world, you know, that they're like, Oh, this, this sort of electric, um, this electric city and how does it look? You know um, I've been studying that like a lot late, lately. A lot of my comic reading has been studying, which I love. You know, like, oh, like, I'm going to read this comic and I'm going to look at a page for like 20 minutes and try to figure out, OK, what were they doing here? What what tools were they using? How can I how can I use this in my own manner? Um, I read comics so much slower than other people. But um, but that, that's just because like I'm always on the lookout for like, OK, what can I what can I learn from this? How can I use this? Like, but um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it's, it's just a lot of research, I guess. It, and that's a good way to get your money out of a comic, man. Just reading it slowly like that and just kind of picking up all the little, uh, you know, uh, tricks and, and, and Easter eggs and everything. Oh yeah. And, and like as, as an artist, it's, it's super, um, cause like, like, and, and people always say like, uh, like in like artists will always tell other people like, Oh, it doesn't matter like what tools I'm using. Anyone can do it. And like, and that is true. But sometimes, the tools do matter. Like when I was working on Spencer and Locke, like in volume two, because this I feel is more of a, like a war book instead of going with the like sort of brush noir style that like I had used for the first volume, I switched to, to nibs because I wanted to have this sort of scratchy hatching grittiness to the, to the world. Cause I feel like with ink wash, everything tends to be soft and like more, it tends to be more beautiful. Whereas like with, with this volume, like switching up just my pens really like there's a lot of texture in volume two that I would not have been able to get in the first volume if I had, if, or if I had stuck with brushes for, for volume two. And so like, uh, <clears throat> So yeah, like studying comics and trying to figure out like, okay, like, you know, how did they do this? Like, I don't know. It's like, I, I love being like a com like a comic book mad scientist. Like that is, I'm happy to put on my lab coat and just be like, yes, I must take it apart. And then I will shock it with lightning with a kite and then bring it back to life. <laughs> uh, that is, that is awesome. Um, well, gentlemen, as we are wrapping up, how can people follow you guys online if you in fact wish to be followed? Yeah, well, um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, PeposD. It's my last name and first initial. And then you can follow uh, Spencer and Locke on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's just Spencer and Locke, one word spelled out. Uh, and you can also follow Go Into the Chapel on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Go To The Chapel. That's just one word spelled out because Twitter will not let you fit the words going to the chapel in one not name. I tried it. Yeah, and... Um you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and my my website. It's uh, Jorge Santiago Jr. That's all all one word. Um, I have to have the junior on there, unfortunately, because there's way cooler people out there that are called Jorge Santiago, and so I use the junior to stand out. 
I'm officially a junior, but I'd prefer not to use it. But if you look up Jorge Santiago, apparently there's like a really cool like Brazilian prize fighter out there. And sometimes I get a lot of traffic from Brazil and China and Russia. And I'm just like, hmm, are they here <laughs> for comics or are they here for like because they think that I'm the dude who punches people? <laughs> if it'll build up our sales, you can punch me as much as you want, man. I'm, I'm we'll, we'll videotape it for all our fans. I'm like, so when can we do it? Put it out on the books. I'm not, I'm not gonna punch you, David. You're the face, like, <laughs> and anywhere but the face. Yeah, so we're, we'll have an anchorman battle. <laughs> so cut coming soon for those higher tier Patreon backers, Fight Club. <laughs> Comic book Fight yeah. Club, love it. Yeah, David and I will mud wrestle if you support the book. <laughs> oh, awesome, guys! Thank you so much for coming on. Well, of course, thank you for having us. It was really our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and $2 gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and panel views, and we'll see you next time. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.